continuing on. So Paul knew. He uses the word disqualified three or four times in his epistles, and many teachers and professing Christians think this means, oh, you're just a carnal Christian. You're just laid aside. You're not, can't do that. No, the word means you're rejected totally. You're cast aside. You're apostate. You're the branch that has been cut off and is ready to burn. That's what it means. You're disqualified from Christianity, not your ministry only. You're disqualified from whatever because you're not obeying the Lord. So he says, if I don't do these things, then I'm preaching in vain. And even if I give people the truth, I'm not living it properly. I'm going to be called disqualified. God honors his word. Backslidden Christians and teachers can still teach his word. And they get results sometimes because the hearer will listen to it. They're not looking at the person. They're looking at the words that are presented, and they were truth. Even if they're not inspired by the Spirit, they can be inspired to them. The Lord can open their ears. Uh huh. But we'll find that the backslidden minister doesn't get anything. We'll get judgment later. And so what we see is Christian service must be done basically by a love for God and a love of God and for the body of Christ and to others. This is what God wants us to do it. The right spirit is what he wants. We get rewarded because we're helped by the Holy Spirit. Every ministry and gift the Holy Spirit is involved in, oh, it has no spiritual value. Only value is, like I say, if the hearer is seeking the Lord, well, the Lord can use a jackass to instruct him. But we're going to find it very interesting if you go to the famous scriptures, the gifts of the Spirit, the ministries, and then love. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. He's talking about all the miracles. Then he says in 31, desire the greater gifts, and yet I'll show you a more excellent way. What's the more excellent way? is the spirit of love, the fruit of the spirit, what he's talking about. See, all the ministries will pass away. They're only for earth. They're not taken into the kingdom. But the love of God and who God is and the love of the Christian, it goes with them. That's who he is. It stays with him. They go into the kingdom. But the ministry gifts cease once that person ceases to be here. Uh-huh. And so that's what he says. We know that though I speak with the tongues of angels, it's nothing but noise if I don't have love. Okay. Verse two. And though I have all of the gift of prophecy, which considered the greatest of the gifts, apostles were prophets. Okay. And I understand all mysteries. I have the gift of wisdom, like Paul did, and understanding. And I have all knowledge. He perfectly gave the gospel of the new covenant. He gave it and completed what even the other apostles were not given in some areas. Okay, But he says what? But if I have all faith and I can preach and I can do these ministries, he said, but if I have not love, uh, I am nothing. So he's getting to the root of the matter here. Uh-huh. And uh, verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, it means I'm 
I could be martyred and burned. But many people, even in false Christianity in many countries, every year at Easter time, they get themselves crucified, nails through their hands and beaten. They don't do it for Christ. They do it for attention. They love the appraises of people. They're willing to suffer to get the attention of people. See, they're doing it for themselves. They're not doing it for the Lord. They lie to themselves. So he said, you can do all of this, but if you don't have the love of God's spirit in you and you don't have Christ living in you, it'll profit you nothing. So a lot of the great humanitarian work don't profit these people because they're not following the Lord. They think they're easing their conscience or buying the Lord off by doing some good. The gifts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. So all of those things don't count. And it may bring judgment on the person. So, you see, they have thinking from a worldly mind that's arrogant and has pride. They don't understand the truth. They're not going to understand it because they live in their wickedness. And what does he say? So if he has not love, he's talking about love from God and to God. What is the love to God is basically summed up in John says the love of God is to keep his commandments. So Jesus made it very plain. He talked about emotions and moods and feelings then. They have their place, but they're not the foundation. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my words. And then my father and I will come and dwell with you. He didn't say because you have an emotional, affectionate mood toward me. Well, you can have that toward your cat or your dog. That is not spiritual. It's not the love of God. And then as the person walks in the Lord, uh, the Spirit at times communicates, and he's aware of the love of God, and God's helping him and being with him, showing his kindness to those who walk in the Lord, okay? So he said, if you don't have this kind of love, I'm nothing. There's no value to myself is what he's saying. It profits me nothing. It still may profit other people and help others. You can see a person in dire need, and they need a lot of money for what they're having problems for. And you give it in front of a lot of people, and it helps them. They don't care what your motive was. You gave it to them, and they'll go and be helped. But the person may have done it because he wanted people to see what he's doing. See, he's taking that scripture out of contact, you know, let your good works be seen. But he also says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand does. You're not to be doing it like the Pharisees to get attention. And they give a lot of money. And Jesus said, but they have the reward. They wanted the attention of people saying, oh, isn't he generous? Isn't he real good? And they get puffed up with pride. And he said, they have the reward. A lot of baby Christians and novices fall into that trap. They think they're doing a lot for the Lord. Their intentions may be good, but it's not spiritual, and they get no reward for it. And as they're supposed to mature the Lord, they can get judged for it. God looks at the motive and intent. Things that aren't done in the spirit and the proper way, it's called wood, hay, and stubble. It means when God tests it, it's burned up. It has no value. So a lot of people, a lot of Christians can do things at times and rob God of his glory because they want attention. They want to be a big speaker and preacher because they want a masses of people, and they give lots of money, 
and you get a name for yourself. That's what happens in these mega churches. They don't basically do it for the Lord. Oh, they tell people they do. But if you examine their lives, you'll see they're full of greed and covetousness and pride. Okay? So no one escapes God's eye. The scripture says, The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth, seeking and looking at the good and the evil. He don't miss nothing. So that's why the first shall be last and the last shall be first. People who we think may be great Christians may have barely made it. And people we don't know, never heard of, they may be up there. Because God evaluates according to the truth and the motive and intentions of people's heart. So we can help people, even as Christians, with money and helps and all kinds of things. And the Lord can say you did it in the wrong spirit. It may have impressed people. It may not impress the Lord. Uh, He don't like it. He does not like that attitude. Uh So we have to be careful. I know people go to one extreme or the other. They have legitimate ministry and they say, oh, it's all the Lord. No, it's not. You're a liar. It's not all the Lord. Because the Lord does nothing of the ministries and gifts without the body of Christ. And the body of Christ with its ministries and gifts must yield to the Lord or it doesn't get done. The branch bears fruit by yielding to the vine. The vine, Jesus, does not bear fruit apart from the branch. It's the union of the two. So we are to yield to the Lord and his gifts and do our part, be the copper wire for the electrical power. But he uses the copper wire. He has a purpose. So Paul said, evaluate yourself truly. Know what your ministry is. That gives people authority when they know what they're called for and what God holds them responsible for. But a lot of false humility. A lot of people, oh, I'll just be glad to make it to heaven. I'm not interested in rewards because you're borderlining on being a wicked person. You insult God. You First of all, you're saying you really would love to, like to live differently, but you want to make it to heaven. You revealed your heart. You still have a selfish heart. Uh-huh. And if you understood, whatever you do, you need the Holy Spirit to work with you, or it's not going to be spiritual. But he's not going to do it. He's called the helper. He's not called the doer. He only does it in us as the Christian yields to him. He is the head, we're the body. The head regulates what the body does, the hands, the feet, the mouth. And that's what he expects. As we said, the speaking in tongues, he said, they spake as the Spirit gave utterance. The people who spoke in tongues did the speaking. They were moved by the Spirit. They were given, but they could have shut their mouth and said no. They were still under control. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. They can refuse to give what God wants them to give. And they can reap the consequences by not doing it. But if they yield, then the spirit helps them and works with them. We're called workers together with God. We're not just sitting there and God's doing everything. You don't find that kind of teaching in Scripture. So to be disqualified getting back, it means to be cast on the heap of junk, on the trash pile, because you're not useful anymore. 
for anything. The person can be disqualified from Christianity, and grace is used in vain. The branch can be cut off from the vine. Fruitfulness can cease by being entangled in the cares of this life. Forgetting that we are not our own, we are children, servants, and slaves of the Lord. People don't like that word in our independent great society, but it's true. Everyone the Lord owns, and he will pass judgment on everyone for how they responded to him, because he's a king, and we're his subjects, and he has a right. The love of money, materialism, can distract one from Christian duties to God. So Paul is warning Timothy and encouraging him that if you're going to be an evangelist, an apostolic, you're going to suffer more persecution. And he already talked about those who left him because they were afraid of it. So he's strengthening Timothy and said, God will give you grace and strength to whatever situation you're put in. He will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able to bear. He'll either give grace to endure the conflict and the persecution, or he'll find a way out of it. So he's responsible for his. So that's what a covenant is. It usually means two side. I give you everything if you need it, and you give me everything if I need it. That's basically what a covenant meant. And that's what the Lord was telling Abraham. Everything you have belongs to me if I need it. And everything you need, I'll give you if you need it. That was part of the covenant. Okay. So he's talked about the athlete. In verse 6, he talks about the farmer. He says, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. So this example is what? Hardworking farmer. If he does it right and endures all of the opposition and things he has to fight, you know, the bugs, the weather, all kinds of things to attack the crops and he has to keep at it and do his best, then he'll get the fruits of his labor. But if he's laid back as the lazy grasshopper was in the story, he was lazy and winter came, he didn't have nothing. Uh huh. He didn't have nothing stored up. But the ant was industrious, and the ant understood these things, the story tells us. And the ant gets the harvest. So he's saying the same thing applies to the Christian. As the farmer's hardworking, you have to be diligent in your spiritual duties and your responsibilities to the Lord. Okay? So now he says in seven, consider what I say. Listen to this. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It's interesting. The Lord gives wisdom and understanding. It said the way is plain to the righteous because the Lord gives him direction and guidance if he's following him. But he said, but the wicked shall never understand because God doesn't give them that. And we see the perfect example, the followers of John that repented and turned over to Jesus, they were already repentant and ready for his message, and they received it. But the Pharisees and priests, they did not. And they didn't receive his message because they couldn't understand it because they were spiritual blind. 
They were living in sin and would not repent. Therefore, God didn't give it to them. And Jesus said, I thank you, Lord of heaven, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for you've hid these things from the wise. He means of the world. And revealed them to the simple. And that's what happened. So most of the Pharisees died in their sins. And yet Jesus talked to them and reproved them. And he said, you'll die in your sins and you won't believe in me. Why? Because you did not repent and I did not give you wisdom or understanding. See, that's only for the righteous. He's not out doing signs, proving anything to the wicked. When Jesus ascended to heaven, the Bible says there was about 500 witnesses chosen of God. There were no sinners. He wasn't trying to prove anything to the world. They're going to come his way, or they're not coming. See, he sets the rules. And all these disciples and followers saw him ascend. As far as we know, not one wicked person saw it. God hid it from them. And he's still doing that today. He's not trying to prove anything. If people want to foster their sins, he ain't obligated to get them truth. He'll send them lying spirits. See, that's the danger of falling under the wrath and displeasure of God. So he's saying, consider these examples, stories that had true results. The prophets often spoke in parables, symbols, poetry. The meanings often had to be diligently sought, or like the seed that was sown on the bad ground, the hard ground, it was eaten by the birds before they could understand it because they didn't take it seriously. See, the soil determined what was going to be done with the seed. The soil was the person. He determined whether the seed was going to be profitable or not. It was the same seed sown. And only the last group was faithful and bore 30, 60, 100 fold. He gave it up. He yielded to it. He wasn't carried away with the cares of this life. He didn't listen to the gospel and say, oh, that's interesting, and went his way. A lot of people think, well, if God wants me to know something, he'll tell me. Scripture don't teach that. Jeremiah says, if you seek the Lord with all your heart, you'll be found of him. Hebrews says, if you diligently seek him, he's a rewarder. So he don't reward flighty people. I've had people tell me years ago, and I counsel with them, well, I've got five minutes. What can you tell me? I says, nothing. Go your way. It takes two or three hours to give a person a true gospel if you're talking to them, explaining things. And they inquire. They want to know what the, and you give them more. There is no free scriptures to salvation. Read this little track and you're saved in a minute. Now you go your way. These are all lying gospels. They're false. They're man-made. Okay? So he's saying, consider these people, athletes and soldiers and farmers, they take their life seriously, what they're doing, and you better do it. The revelation by the prophets were often called dark sayings or enigmas. God, when he told Aaron and Miriam about he was defending Moses, he said, if there was a prophet among you, I'd reveal myself in visions and speak to him in dreams and in dark saying. He said, but Moses, I speak face to face. When he went into the Holy of Holies, Moses carried on a conversation with the Lord. But even the holy prophets were not that familiar with the Lord. 
and he'd give them dreams and visions and symbols, and they'd have to seek the Lord and pray for the Lord to reveal some of these things. Of course, some of it's plain. The Lord says, go here and do that. You don't need no interpretation. But there were visions and dreams that had to be interpreted. And God encouraged people to seriously seek him. And if they don't, they don't get the serious things. That's what it amounts to. Uh One person told me years ago when I was only 19, and I've been in the Lord for three years. And they said, boy, you know the scripture better than I. God's really gifted you. I said, it has very little to do with the gift. I spent two and three hours a night for two years studying scripture. I had to learn something or I'm stupid. I said, no, you have to apply yourself. Then the Lord will bless what you do and he'll honor. But a lot of people think that God's just going to pop it on their head and all of a sudden they're going to know everything. No, he has no parrots or robots in the spiritual kingdom. So they were called dark sayings. He still does it. Jesus taught 39, basically, parables. And he gave the understanding to his own, and many of the Pharisees and scribes didn't catch a lot of it. And his intention was that they wouldn't. Spiritual things are for the children. The bread is for the children of uh, the kingdom. It's not for the enemy, okay? So Jeremiah says, you know, as I said, you'll find me when you seek me for all your heart. And Hebrews says, he'll reward those who diligently seek you. That means seriously. So you get back to the athlete and the hardworking farmer and the soldier, they're being diligent and they get results. But if you're not diligent, you get nothing. So much of the Old Testament, God was responding to the godly and the serious. And those who wanted to be taken seriously sought the Lord. Okay, look at Ecclesiastes. That's a hard one, isn't it? That'll be after, yeah, after Proverbs. Okay, Ecclesiastes, the preacher, chapter 5, verse 2. And this is how it was under the Old Covenant. They don't have the freedom we have. We can come before the Lord any time with assurance he hears us if we're walking in the Spirit. We don't have no fear. We have a confidence. But the general people of the Old Covenant, here's what he said. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. See, they could not approach him like we could. Moses knew God's ways, and he could approach God and go into the Holy of Holies. Children of Israel had to stay outside, and it says they saw his acts. And when he did all of his acts, most of them failed, and they didn't make it into the promised land. Uh But it said, but Moses knew his ways, and it's always been that way. So in the new covenant, uh, we can come with faith and assurance that he will hear and welcome us. And we don't have to go to a certain place. We are the temple of the Lord. Wherever we are, we can enter the Holy of Holies if we're in the right spirit and we're not in any rebellion. Look at Hebrews 10, 19. We'll read several of the verses to twenty. Therefore, brethren, 
having assurance. Many translate this falsely boldness. It actually means assurance, confidence. I've heard preachers stand up and demand God to answer them. They think they're being bold. They're being arrogant. I can name names. You know who they are. They don't know scripture after 50 years. You don't come into God's. It says, let your requests be known to God. It never says, let your demands be known to the Lord. They'll come in and quote a scripture. You got to do this, God. He ain't got to do nothing but send you to hell in five minutes if he wants to. See, they're using their corrupt human nature. They're not spiritual. They misrepresent God too. And they think he can be treated like a dog, but he's not going to be. Okay. And he says, so you have this confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ, so Jesus, a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil. So under the old covenant, they couldn't do that. God had to set limits. And when man sinned in the garden, God redeemed him and helped him and made sacrifice, but he lost his relationship and he couldn't go in Eden anymore. And I'm sure once they were around the bugs and the hot weather and they started experiencing pain, they wanted Adam, he wanted to go back into the garden. And God put an angel there with the sword and says, you don't let him come in. They forfeited this. And then when Cain murdered his brother, he was driven further away. So the more people sin and rebel, they get further and further away from God. And But those in the new, as we have the new covenant, we have access to him. Like no one. And that's why Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than any of the old. We're greater in potential than John the Baptist, the chief of the prophets, Abraham, David, Job. See, we can approach him in a way they couldn't. They were under a different covenant. Uh So that's why we have greater ministry. We can go as a high priest anytime, not on a set day once a year, as the Jew had to do. Okay, the high priest. And we have a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. Okay, so he's welcoming us with confidence, assurance, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Mm -hmm. Having our spirit, that's our heart, sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. Okay. A true heart, we have to be honest before the Lord. There could be no practicing sin. There could be no rebellion. If the Lord's told us something and we're not doing it, we better do it or or confess it and get it right. Or you'll have a hard time getting him to listen. And he says, have your conscience sprinkled. Get forgiven if there's anything there. If the Lord wants a repentance and wants you to do something, you're required to do it. A lot of people think he forgets something. Some things he lets go and punishes or lets it go. But as he matures us, he doesn't, okay? And has a wash with the word. The word of God is the water too. And it keeps us clean. So he's saying a person with a, a good conscience, a Christian, and he's honest before the Lord, and his conscience doesn't bother him, he has access to the any time. They didn't have that under the old covenant, okay? We have a better covenant. So we must be in the spirit. Our conscience must be clear. And we have faith in what he's done for us and will do. 
he will answer proper prayer. That's faith. He says, if your conscience doesn't condemn you, you have access to God. And we know he hears us. You look at the we know. God hears you. What, what do we know? We have faith. We know he hears us. We have faith because our conscience doesn't disturb us. But many Christians cannot come with a clear conscience. They're up and down and back and forth and carnal. And they cease being Christians after a while. And James says, if you're double-minded, up and down and back, he said, don't think you're going to receive anything from God. So you're wasting your time. Cleanse your hands and purify your heart. He tells you to do it. God will do his part. But like I say, you can't be seeking God and seeking that when you're still in your sins. When you're doing something wicked and you know it and you ain't doing nothing about it, eventually it'll get you cut off from the vine. People need not to play with God because he don't play that way. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Okay? Up until the gospel came, after Jesus, it was very important that he descended both sides, through Joseph's line, the legal line, and through Mary, the bodily line. And he did. Both of them descended from David. He was fulfilling scripture. Uh-huh. And it was very important. But then after that, there is no importance of who you're descended from. He didn't care who you're descended from. The new covenant makes no emphasis on that. It supersedes that. Originally, God wanted all of the Israelites, the Jews, to be priests. But because they sinned so badly, he gave it to the Levites. But his original intention was at all of it. And so in the new covenant, he's brought it back. Its intention is for all of us to be children of God. We have different ministries and callings, but we have right standing before as a child of God. That's what he intended in the new covenant. Uh huh. And that's what he wants for everybody. So he's saying, remember what? The gospel story. What Jesus told you, the whole gospel is the story of redemption and victory at the end. It's not just salvation. Salvation is a beginning, a process, and an end. It's a lifestyle. That's why many people think, oh, I'm born again, I don't have to worry. You just started the race, and you won't go too far with that attitude. You won't make it. Uh So the gospel is he died for our sins. He rose from the dead as proof that he did it right. The spirit of holiness resurrected him because there's no sin in him. And his body saw no corruption because there was no sin in him. He came through Abraham and David. He fulfilled the prophecies of who he was. Paul calls his gospel apostolic and true, not like other false ones who think, and they tried to twist his gospel to their own destruction. During this time, people were told by some of the teachers the rapture had already taken place. And it overthrew the faith for some people. They thought, well, why try? Why do anything? God's left me. You see, they were lied to. And they weren't that spiritual to discern what was going on. Uh-huh. But, like I say, Paul straightened them out on that. He wanted them to know that's not true. You still be faithful to the Lord regardless. Paul revealed things of the rapture and cleared up 
Old Testament prophets that even the other apostles didn't do some of this. He was given special revelation. He was given, he said, I was given more grace than all of them. But it was the grace of God in me. It wasn't my message that gave me these things, okay? Jesus said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. That was before he died and was ascended. One of them was the Gentiles would enter and be on equal standing with the believing Jew. They they didn't accept that. They didn't understand it. Even the disciples, for six and eight years, they didn't preach the gospel to the Gentiles. They were converting Jews. They still didn't catch on, and there still was enough old to show them if they looked at it. And so the Lord dealt with them again. After destruction of the temple, you don't hear much mention about the Jews being a special people anymore. And they won't be until the millennium. And the church will be gone and raptured. And then for a thousand years, they'll be chief among the nation. Right now, Israel is just as wicked as any other nation. God will keep his word. They don't serve God in a different... I've had a lot of Christians tell me that the Jews are saved under a different system. They're lost just like every Gentile. They don't receive Jesus Christ. They're lost. No, they're not a special people. They're under God's judgment as a whole for 2,000 years. They've been persecuted, not because they're righteous. People don't want to hear that. The gospel's for everybody, Jew and Gentile. But God will keep his promises to Abraham and prophets during the millennium. He'll raise the Jewish nation up again. But most of the Jews will be dead at that time. And when the Antichrist makes a treaty with them, He'll destroy 90-some percent of all the Jews, and it's only the Lord coming at the right moment that saves what's left, and they will recognize him that he was the Christ, and they will turn to the Lord then, and then God will begin to establish the nation. But that's not for the body of Christ. We're under a different system, okay? So the Jew, even Peter, after resurrection, he asked the Lord, when will you store Israel. See, he was still expecting the Messiah to throw off the Roman yoke. They were still wanting that. The Jews believed that, and even his disciples, they were expecting him to do that. And he said, it's not for you to know God's time. You just follow me. And after they were filled with the Spirit, they didn't ask that question anymore. Then they understood, it won't be in my lifetime. He ain't going to restore Israel to the second coming after all the judgments. That's 2,000 and some years at least. We've already lived that, okay? So Christ would be in person of the new covenant. Christ would be in the new covenant with the Christian. He was not in the old. He came on people. Only prophets, priests, and king had the spirit to come on them. And he only dwelled to do something. He did not indwell them like he does the Christian. That's why we have a better covenant, okay? Man would be saved through grace and faith in Christ, not by the law of Moses, rituals, and ceremonies. They were symbols and teachers. The law was kept in the ark, and it was covered by the mercy seat, which represented Christ. And all of the ark was made of wood overlaid with gold. Wood means humanity. Jesus had humanity of man. But the lid was solid gold because God looked down and the plan was of him. It had nothing to do with man. Man had to respond to him. 
And the law cried out for justice and holiness. And the law could not forgive sins. Under Moses, the law forgave nothing. It was the sacrifices and ceremonies that God covered the sins so that the law would not get justice, which it wanted. Uh -huh. So he covered their sins. But under the new covenant, he does something to their spirit and indwells them. Okay. So let's finish now. Paul's telling them, Timothy, give the whole gospel, and you're going to have conflict because you have a higher ministry. And told him, do it seriously as a soldier, as an athlete, or as a farmer. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding in your word and its practical application. In Christ's name, amen.